This podcast is supported by Starglow Media's Mysteries About True Histories. From the creators of the hit top-ranking kids educational podcast in the world, Who Smarted, the Emmy-nominated Nat Geo Disney Plus's Brain Games and Netflix's Brainchild, comes Mysteries About True Histories, affectionately known as M-A-T-H, or math, in which kids ages six and up can hear humorous and educational stories that follow two best friends, Max and Molly, while they go on adventures through time, solving puzzles, hidden equations, talking about history, and making learning cool. Episodes transport listeners to moments in history like Pythagoras's ancient Greece, the era of the Aztecs, Sir Isaac Newton's England, and more. When I drive my son to school in the morning, we listen to these episodes that fit perfectly in our commute, with the episodes being about 15 minutes long. And this podcast is right up my son's alley because he loves to solve problems and happens to love math and the types of punny jokes that Max likes to tell. So tune in to Mysteries About True Histories with your kids. You can follow and listen on Apple Podcasts or wherever you get your pods. Welcome to Mom and Mine, a podcast about maternal mental health from conception to pregnancy and postpartum. Real stories from moms and family members who have made it from struggling to wellness and interviews with experts and advocates who work for moms and families to get the help they need. We discuss very real struggles that can sometimes be hard to hear, but these are stories that need to be told so that moms and families can know that healing is possible. This podcast is meant to offer information and awareness and is not a replacement for treatment by a professional. Thank you for being with us today. Hi, and welcome to Mom and Mind. I'm your host, Dr. Kat. In this episode, we're talking with Dr. Helena Vissing about maternal ambivalence and some of the feminist, psychoanalytic, and somatic perspectives on how women feel about their body related to pregnancy and postpartum. We're looking at how to broaden our understanding of maternal ambivalence. Helena Vissing has a PsyD in applied clinical psychology. She has experience working as a school psychologist and in private practice from her home country, Denmark. She moved to Los Angeles in 2010, where she conducted a doctoral dissertation study on the experience of becoming a mother in the PsyD program at the Chicago School of Professional Psychology. She has published peer-reviewed articles and book chapters on the psychology of the emotional and somatic changes related to motherhood. She's active in the nonprofit organization Maternal Mental Health Now. She works in a group practice called Triune Therapy Group, where she runs a mom's group. She's also adjunct faculty at the Chicago School of Professional Psychology. Helena is contributing with a chapter to a book titled A Womb of Her Own, Women's Struggle for Sexual and Reproductive Autonomy, and that will be released in January. Helena's chapter is an exploration of the birth rights movement and the psychology of birth. Thank you so much for being with us, Helena. Thank you so much for having me. I'm very excited to talk with you today. I think oh, the perspective that you're bringing and the education that you're bringing to our listeners is going to be really great and helpful and something that we don't talk about enough in terms of maternal ambivalence and how we feel about our bodies. Yes, I'm also very passionate about that. And I agree. I think we don't talk about it enough for sure. Right. How did you become involved in this work and in the work you're doing now? So as you mentioned, I moved to the U.S. in 2010, and I had actually never been here before. So I moved over here with my Danish husband, and I enrolled in the doctoral program and started my dissertation on the experience of becoming a mother. And then while I was doing my dissertation, I started to volunteer in a program called New Moms Connect, Mm. 
which is a really amazing program at Jewish Family Service for new moms. And I met Gabrielle Kaufman, who is now the training director for Maternal Mental Health now. Yeah. And she became a mentor and a friend of mine. And she introduced me to maternal mental health. And I was able to train with her. She was leading a mom's group and I was able to lead it with her. And that was an amazing experience for me. Yeah. Um, Very, very powerful. I learned so much about sitting with new mothers, listening to them, talking with them. So I was doing that as part of my training. And then I was studying a lot about motherhood with my dissertation project. So that made me realize I was very passionate about motherhood and maternal studies and maternal mental health. And then I actually got pregnant while I was training there. Oh boy. Yes. So (laughs) I got pregnant and then I had my daughter in 2012. And I feel really lucky that just before I got pregnant, I got exposed to working with mothers and studying motherhood. I found that that was very valuable. Absolutely. Wow. Right. So you had a lot of knowledge going into the experience about what could happen or how to take care of yourself or, you know, any number of things, which most of us don't get. (laughs) Yes. But I think even when you have exposure, we've got exposure and you have experience and you studied it, even then you can never really prepare for how it is and how intense it is. And as anyone, I also was very overwhelmed by the motherhood transition, of course. And I just found, while I was studying, I found this whole body of literature on the experience of becoming a mother that combines like a psychodynamic or psychoanalytic perspective and then a more feminist perspective. So not the old school psychoanalytic stuff, but more up to date Mm -hmm. ideas about what it means to be a woman and live your life in a female body. And then the body perspective, bringing in the role of the body in psychology. And I found that to be very, very empowering, this literature, these theories, this perspective. Yeah. So I'd love to have the listeners understand more about this. So just if you can sort of frame what the idea of maternal ambivalence and then also the feminist psychoanalytic and somatic perspectives that we're going to be getting into. Yes. So. First, related to the somatic perspective. So there are some overlooked, I think, writers that look at how the female body and female psychological development, those two are inseparable. We cannot think about, you know, psychological development, what it means to be a woman or be a human for that matter, without also looking at the body changes we go through in life throughout the life cycle. Well, I mean, if I can just stop you for a second, I mean, I think this is so, so important because, I mean, even in like conventional medicine, those two things are separated and often viewed as separate things. But what you're describing and what we're going to be talking about is how they're connected and related. And that's so important. Exactly. It's very important. And it's important to think of it in a larger perspective. For example, The things we go through as women when we become mothers, that's one of three major physical changes in our lives. The first one being puberty, where our bodies really transform, and then motherhood, and then the last one being menopause. Mm -hmm. And what goes on in each of those transitions 
kind of point back and forward. So when we go through, for example, the motherhood transition, all the things related to when we went through puberty might get triggered. Right. Or even when we go through puberty as young, young women, girls, also things get stirred up about our expectations or fantasies about what it will mean when we, if we one day become mothers. Right. So all these huge milestones are connected throughout the life cycle. And that's important when you're trying to find out the emotional and psychological things happening, especially anxieties that we can't understand. Sure. All those things that are being sort of called up in our minds or in our feelings or in our body. Yeah. Okay. So the maternal ambivalence piece, Mm -hmm. the ambivalence piece, that's important because, well, first of all, maternal ambivalence is usually when we talk about that, we talk about the ambivalence a mother has towards her child or children. So one of the scholars who has studied a maternal ambivalence is Rosica Parker. She's written a lot about that. She defines this as the experience shared variously by all the mothers in which loving and hating feelings for their children exist side by side. Okay. I'm going to also pause you there because this is also super important. Most people do not talk about the mixed bag of feelings that they have about their children, about motherhood in general, because of these like social constructs about how motherhood is supposed to be and we're all supposed to be happy and loving and all these things. I mean, on some level, this idea that you can both love and hate your children is revolutionary in terms of a social construct. Mm. Oh, for Uh, sure. And that's super important. For sure. I agree. I think there's still a lot of resistance. I do think that I experience a little bit improvement in the sense of like recognizing it yeah. somewhat. You know, we see like movies coming out, like the Bad Moms movie and mm-hmm. vlogs. And there is this growing awareness that, yes, mothers can be ambivalent. We do have like a recognition or an awareness of that. But that is not the same as tolerating or accepting it. Yeah. I think there's a big difference. Like affect recognition, it's not the same as affect tolerance. And that's the tricky part is to really tolerate it and make space for it, if you will. All the yucky feelings, there they are. Yeah. Um, And I think what you're saying to tolerate and accept that if possible. Yeah. And not just to tolerate because Rosica Parker, she's remarkable in that in her works, she suggests that it's not just that it's part of life. We have to deal with it. We can be ambivalent. We can sometimes hate our children, which is also what we're starting to acknowledge. Yeah, that's just how it is. She said that, no, eternal ambivalence is actually developmentally important. Mm-hmm. This is part of all relationships. And love and true deep connections are a big part of developing that mm-hmm. is to live through the ambivalence. And she says, when we are ambivalent and when a mother is ambivalent about her child, that actually has a huge creative function in that it helps her to think about what goes on between her and her child. Mm-hmm. And she actually sees it as a creative potential, but it requires that you're able to recognize the ambivalence and tolerate it and reflect on it. This podcast is supported by Understood Explains. As parents, we are often having to figure out things as we go, and that is very true for our children's education. And to help you out, I want to tell you about a podcast called Understood Explains. 
This season is hosted by teacher and special education expert Uliana Ortube, and she discusses all the things you'd want to know about individual education plans, or IEPs, what they are, why they're needed, who benefits from them, and what to expect when you have meetings with teachers. I could have really used this podcast when my son had an IEP for speech when he was six. I was overwhelmed trying to understand the process and what everything meant. The episode on Understood Explains, Does My Child Need an IEP?, was the kind of info that would have really helped me get the most out of the educational support of the IEP for my son. And if you need that kind of support, I really recommend this podcast. To listen to Understood Explains, search for Understood Explains in your podcast app. That's Understood Explains. When it comes to raising kids, there's so much to consider. Things like, what do we feed them? When do we feed them? How do they sleep? What does it look like to raise kind kids? How does their nervous system work? How do I keep myself calm? What are my triggers? There's so much that comes into play. And we are distilling all of that information for you at Voices of Your Village podcast, where we bring experts in the field of early childhood and education and psychology and across the board so that you don't have to comb the internet for information. You get to show up and hang out and have shame-free, judgment-free conversations and insights into what it looks like to raise kind, empathetic, emotionally intelligent humans. I'm Alyssa Blask-Campbell. I have a master's degree in early childhood education. I'm a mom of two, and I am walking this journey right alongside you doing this work. Come hang out with me at Voices of Your Village, and we can dive into real conversations with actionable tips. So she also distinguishes between manageable ambivalence, which is the ambivalence that you can recognize, you can acknowledge, you can talk about, you can Uh maybe reflect on it, process it. And then there is the unmanageable ambivalence, which is when the ambivalence has become too intense and sometimes we has to be blocked out. Uh Very, very intense feeling, negative feelings towards your child or towards yourself. Yeah, well, that's another good point is that, so Rosica Parker, she focused on the ambivalence towards the child, but there's a more broader understanding of maternal ambivalence, or you could say the ambivalences that comes up in motherhood, because there's just a lot of ambivalences happening. Like, for example, the new role of being a mom. Mm -hmm. Women will often talk about, oh, I really wanted to be a mom, but then there are also ways I didn't want to be a mom. Mm -hmm. I mean, a lot of people will experience having very mixed feelings about the idea of becoming a parent, right? Mm-hmm. And when you do have your child, it can also be very mixed. So the role of being a mom, also ambivalence on a more deeper level in terms of how you feel about yourself, right? And how you feel about yourself as the baby you used to be. Because when you have a newborn in your arms, you're also confronted with the fact that you were yourself a newborn once. You're most... Yeah vulnerable parts. Mm -hmm. And how do you feel about that? You know, when your newborn is screaming and is really demanding, what does that bring up for you about thinking that you, you were also once a baby like that, screaming and demanding? Sure. You know, there are in conversations that I've had with, you know, moms who are depressed and anxious, but also have had, it's bringing up issues about their own childhood in relation to their own mother. You know, those feelings of on one hand, how could I have been treated the way I was treated if they, had, you know, if they had had a bad childhood? Mm-hmm. But then once they have reached a point where they themselves are feeling some kind of rage or upset towards their child, where they say, "I kind of get it," 
I kind of understand why my mom might have lost it a couple of times. And that's just such a difficult rope to walk. And all those different sides to it you mentioned mm-hmm. can happen at the same time for a mother. Right. You know, and mother can go through all those different feelings kind of simultaneously. She can even feel like, I was so vulnerable. Why didn't my surroundings care better for me? Mm-hmm. And at the same time, she might feel like, oh my God, I was this demanding once. How could anyone right. demand me? Right, right. Yeah, I'm just laughing because I just had a conversation about this with somebody. It just comes up in conversation fairly often, you know, and just because of the work that I do. But these are deep reaching emotional things. It's yes. not just a passing conversation. They have ties to these much deeper feelings. And we know with deeper feelings in that way, and also very early or old feelings, a lot of it can't always be just talked about directly, mm-hmm. just verbalized just like that. Because a lot of it is before we developed our language. Yeah. It's nonverbal. It's very subtle, unconscious sometimes. And that brings me to one of the other things that with the ambivalence comes up, which is the the ambivalence about the body changes. Yeah. So from this perspective I'm working from, the idea of like, because there's so much that's unconscious in there, the things that come up for us about our bodies Mm -hmm. are often those things that we cannot put into words. Right. So the anxieties or obsessions maybe or fascinations, fears, concerns, all those things about our bodies, the things that we cannot put to words come out in those feelings about the body or body parts. Mm -hmm. It's also, of course, very real. The body changes of motherhood are very real. (laughs) Yes. So it's a very real concern. And these body changes can be very, very scary. Mm-hmm. And they can also be very fascinating, gratifying. Mm-hmm. At the same time, they can be all. And right. I think because it's so unpredictable, you don't know exactly what body changes you're going to go through. You can have a lot of hopes, you can have a lot of fears, you can have a lot of fantasies, mm-hmm. but you can never know exactly what will happen and how you will feel about it. And that being so unpredictable, right? is really scary. Unpredictable things are very stressful for us. Sure. Yeah. I mean, that's such a good point there that we don't know what's going to unfold and how our pregnancy is going to feel and and how it's going to change our bodies necessarily. And some moms that I met with are sort of in awe, like, oh my gosh, my body can grow a human and I have a superpower. And, you know, there's this amazing strength and goodness that can come from that. But sometimes when things don't go well or there's complications, I've heard moms say, like, my body is failing me or, you know, any variation of that. And it can be so upsetting. Very upsetting. And I think what can be really hard and upsetting is when your surroundings or maybe society or the culture don't really recognize how hard it is mm-hmm. that it's so unpredictable. When there's this idea that, oh, that's just part of being a mom. So right. Like right. this idea that, oh, that's just part of it and you have to just accept it and deal with it. Well, I don't think if we could just feel like that with everything in life, we probably wouldn't be human. Right. (laughs) Who's choosing to not feel well? 
and to to be ambivalent or to be struggling. I mean, if if we could just snap out of it, I'm sure a lot of people would take that opportunity. Yeah. And, you know, to have a child, it's like a beautiful thing in that way, but it's also part of life. And it's just like, you know, part of life is also aging and, you know, we all are going to die one day. That's not something that we expect to just be okay about, right? Right. Right that it's hard so and it's the same with motherhood mm-hmm. it's natural it's beautiful hopefully even though it's also hard but of course that's going to be really hard and I think it is so intense because it goes into these deep things that we don't have words for that it's sometimes hard for us like collectively to respect and make room for how intense it is. It's also those icky feelings, like you say, it can be really messy. Oh yeah. So I I see it as that that's why it's hard for us to really, to listen and respect what it is that women actually go through. I think it's also sometimes because the people around a mother or a new family mm-hmm. are often really busy. It's, yeah. you know, healthcare providers, mm-hmm. they're really busy with the medical aspects, doing the prenatal or during birth and after birth. They're really busy. Mm-hmm. They have so much to do in terms of tending to the baby and all the health stuff. So I think they sometimes in that interactions with the mother, I don't think they have the time or the training or experience right. to, to deal with that fully. Yeah. I mean, it would be just, maybe we should start a new profession of just mental health doulas during pregnancy and postpartum just to be in the room because there are so many things that can go on, both good and hard. I think that's that's the good news. I'm very encouraged to see how there's this growing awareness of the need for doulas or Mm -hmm. therapists or, you know, all those people that work to focus on this piece, this is growing. And it makes me really happy to see that there is much more awareness of that compared to for say like 50 years ago. Oh, for sure. Right. Yes. That mothers have a whole universe of experience inside of their body and mind during this Mm -hmm. uh, very, as you said, common occurrence of pregnancy and having children is just that we're able to look at that and be more realistic about it now that it's not just butterflies and rainbows and all that stuff, that it's complicated. And it's complicated also for if a mother is going through things and it's really overwhelming and there's really some intense ambivalence and maybe she actually experienced things that were painful or traumatic and she had body changes that are really difficult to go through. Yeah. It also makes it hard if it just becomes this overwhelming, very painful thing and she is not yet at a place where she can fully understand Mm -hmm. what is it about for her in her particular life story because Mm -hmm. everyone has a different story. So having going through some really difficult reactions because of your body changes, it's always different. How you feel, for example, about how your breast changed after your pregnancy and postpartum, mm-hmm. that's going to be a unique story for each woman, right? depending on how it was for her, how was her relationship to her body and her breast before, mm-hmm. how was she influenced by her relationship, particularly by her relationship to her mother, the culture in her family, in her community. So everybody has a unique story that plays into 
how the body changes of motherhood are experienced. Sure. As you're talking about that, I was also thinking in terms of the body, like how well does, if she's choosing to nurse or breastfeed, how well is that working? How does she feel about how her breasts are producing milk or expressing or, and for some moms who cannot for various number of reasons nurse, but they want to, that creates its own challenge. Mm. And I think we talk a lot about how we shouldn't compare and it's not a competition and that's right. But I think it's very normal to feel these intense feelings of competition or comparing yourself to others or having these fantasies before you have your child about, I want to do it this way. I think in some way we need those fantasies. We need to have these fantasies that I'm going to be super good at breastfeeding. I'm going to be super good at birthing. We kind of need it because it's so unpredictable. If we didn't have those fantasies, what would we have? We need to hold on to some kind of hope. And then, of course, it's hard if reality becomes really challenging for different reasons. Mm -hmm. And I think there a lot of the competition feeling or the feeling of like, I'm not good enough, are very, very human in that way because we want to on top of it. Of course we do. We want to be able to go through it and feeling good, feeling victorious in a sense, feeling powered by it. Of course we want that. Right. So as you were describing that, it made me think of in the group that I run, oftentimes I hear moms having after their babies are there and they're with them in the group, having this feeling of, you know, about what they wanted to have happen and what they hoped it would be like and then what it is Mm. and having those feelings of, well, maybe I'm not cut out for this. Mm. Just in terms of maternal ambivalence, I mean, that doesn't happen just once. It happens on some spectrum of time. Yeah. I'm assuming, you know, in the terms that you're describing. Yeah. And I think, I know a lot of mothers are able to work through things and get to a point where they can regain a sense of confidence. And that's really amazing, but it's not that easy. And I think it's important to say that it's not like the goal is that you must just feel great about what happened. Like you will just get over this and be okay because wherever you are, if you don't feel like that, it's not really going to help to think that it's just about getting over it. For example, I mean, the goal is not that you are supposed to at one day just feel totally okay about the fact that maybe you had a C-section and you wanted to birth vaginally. That's not necessarily the goal because you might not be that you'll just accept that and move on. It might always be a scar in that way, an emotional scar, deep pain. Mm -hmm. But I think the important message is that that pain can be alleviated. It won't feel that intense forever. No, exactly. Mm. But I think, and the reason why I say this is that I sometimes see and hear moms talk about when there is this idea that, oh, you can just, you know, we work through it, you're supposed to just be fine. It can kind of sometimes backfire. Uh-huh. Like yeah. when you see those, it's very well-meaning and sweet. This, these right. expressions of like, oh, I love my stretch marks. They are my tiger stripes. Yeah. Well, if you really hate your stretch marks, mm-hmm. it can feel like, well, and now I can't even just, I can't even just move past it that I hate my stretch marks. Like sometimes mm-hmm. we have those negative feelings and I think we really need to allow them 
Yeah. That that's also there. So I'm thinking of the intensity that having a perinatal mood or anxiety disorder like depression or anxiety or PTSD or some kind of thing related to pregnancy or postpartum can really make those negative feelings about your body, about yourself, make them more intense, make them a lot louder. And how, you know, in the work that you've been doing through your various organizations and research and writing, is there a way to, I guess, <laughs> sort of describe in a sense how having depression or anxiety might complicate these already complex dynamics? Yeah, I think the first thing that comes to mind for me is the topic of boundaries and especially boundaries about what to talk about when and with whom. Because many people, whether it's like the healthcare professionals or friends or family, you know, if they don't know that maybe you're struggling with depression or anxiety or other things, they might be like, oh, it's normal to just talk about and what happened? Oh, you had a C-section. Oh, you had an episiotomy. Oh, you, this, oh, you had the baby preterm and just talking about it, you know, and throwing around jokes, sometimes, you know, casual comments or jokes. And, you know, there's sometimes people, because it is very intense and special, the whole motherhood transition, and people will just talk about it casually. Hello, you sentient ball of stardust. My name is Casey Davis. I'm a therapist, and I'm an author of the book, How to Keep House While Drowning, where I talk about ways to make it a little bit easier to take care of yourself when you're overwhelmed, stressed, have mental health issues, physical health issues, or maybe you're just in a hard season of life. Maybe you're looking for a place that you can come and listen to some practical advice. This is a podcast for all of the self-help rejects. We're going to talk about skills for survival and self-kindness. And I'm going to leave the pop psychology at the door. I promise not to tell you to meditate or to journal. We're just going to give you some really insightful conversations with hopefully some practical advice. So I don't believe you need to pick yourself up by the bootstraps. I don't want you to just try harder. And I don't believe that laziness exists. So join me over on Struggle Care, where we can find compassionate solutions that help us function a little bit better. Well, hey there, Busy Mama. Are you looking for ways to make your life easier, your home less chaotic, and at the same time, add more joy to your life? My name is Deanna Yates, and I'm the host of Wanna Be Clutter Free, a podcast all about letting go of the stuff we don't need in our lives so that we can focus on what truly matters. Don't worry, I'm not going to tell you to throw it all away or make you feel guilty about keeping something you love, no matter how many other people don't quite understand it. But I will give you practical and more importantly, actionable advice so that you can make progress right away. And you won't just hear it from me. There are amazing guests too. It's like having your bestie in your pocket, telling you it's okay to let go of the things that are not serving you and your family in a totally non-judgmental way. So join me over on the podcast where we can work on progress over perfection for those of us that want to be clutter-free. And when you're going through something like postpartum depression or anxiety, you're vulnerable and it's so raw and it's so painful. Mm -hmm. And it can be very hard to hear people's maybe well-meaning comments. And I think it's important to be very mindful of what do you talk about and when. And so like very small, seemingly insignificant comments can be very painful. It could be, for example, with healthcare professionals, they will mention something and then a woman might think like, well, does that mean something about like, oh, 
what happened in, for example, during the birth, there was one little detail. What does that mean? And someone will throw out an anecdote and then a mother might be thinking like, well, if that anecdote is the truth about something, what does that mean for my situation? And it's tricky because there's also this ambivalence about mothers often really need to talk with others and to share their experience. Mm -hmm. But at the same time, they also need to feel safe and not get thrown too much at them. Yeah. So I think boundaries about what to talk about when Mm -hmm. is important. Like I would love to contribute to like developing a culture of a lot of sensitivity about that saying like it's okay to say no and to say this is too early or say when people come over say oh it's really too early for me to talk about the birth or it's really overwhelming and sensitive for me to talk about how I'm adjusting to motherhood or how I am or being very selective of saying these are the people that I know I feel safe talking with. Sure I mean especially if you're dealing in kind of in the middle of that ambivalence it's hard to do what most people feel like they need to do, which is put on a happy face. Oh, oh, I love my baby. I'm so happy that they're here. And what if they don't really feel that way? That's like a painful thing to lie to yourself and lie to other people when you know in in your body and in your mind that that's not true. Mm. And feel guilty about that. Mm, Yeah. So I love that, just having boundaries about who and what to Mm. say things to and that you don't have to divulge or subscribe to the culture of happy mom if that's not how you're feeling. And I think this is especially important when it comes to body stuff and the body changes of motherhood, because I think this is related to shame. There is a lot of shame related to the body issues and shame about also how you feel about that. And even shame about the fact that you have feelings about it because often when you talk about the body stuff it's often you know the healthcare providers and they have a focus of doing the medical work mm-hmm. and their job and their focus is of course not to address the underlying emotional stuff and that's mm-hmm. it's really hard because when you're talking about like so how am i going to deal with this mastitis or my c-section scar or my episiotomy whatever it is obviously your feelings about that and what it has done to you. And you have a need to also address that part. Um, And I think it's important that you can be very selective about who do you talk about those things. And also maybe sometimes be a little precise about saying, I need to talk about this, but I need to be listened to. Yes. Not just say, you know, oh, this is what's happening for me, how I'm experiencing this particular body change Mm -hmm. and then not just have the person you're talking with share their little anecdote and then that's it. Because that's sometimes not helpful if you're struggling with something really painful. What's more often helpful is to be fully listened to Uh and be respected and not feel judgment towards the way you are feeling. That's great. And I think that if a mom can get to that point where she can kind of think about what her needs are and respect that for herself and set those limits, then that leads to a more empowered feeling, a more sense of, I mean, if she can also not listen to feelings of guilt or shame, (laughs) which are very difficult to put down, but by getting to a place where you can say, you know what, no, it's, I can set this limit and I can set this boundary and that's perfectly fine. And when there is the guilt or shame I like to think about compassionate curiosity. 
meaning that usually if we have like an intense guilt or shame about something, that's uncomfortable. We want to get rid of it. We don't want to feel it. But in order to work through it, we have to really understand it at a deeper level. And we can't understand it without being really curious. So curious coming from a place of compassion about, for example, oh, you feel really angry about maybe a doctor or your body or the baby or something. And just really listening into the deeper meanings of that and how it relates to the woman's life story in a larger perspective. A lot of our feelings come up and feel like standalone things, but really they have a context somewhere. And that technique and that idea that you're describing to just honor that there's a place for these feelings. Yeah. There's certainly a place for them. And also those really icky feelings of maybe, you know, envy, like, oh, why didn't I have that experience as as that person over there? You know, the grass is greener on the other side or the feelings of like competition. Uh There's more to that. They often come from like underlying longings that are very human. Yeah. Yeah come from a place of like wanting to feel good, to feel a sense of body pride that maybe goes back to how it was for you in your puberty. How did you feel about your body developing? And that's very human. And I think it can be good to think of it in that way, that these are our human longings. Right. Um, And maybe we have already with us before we become mothers, we experienced that there was some pain related to that, that there was times where we felt we couldn't feel that sense of confidence and pride in ourselves and our bodies. Mm. Maybe we have particular traumatic experiences then got triggered as we became mothers. And listening to the deeper life story, if you will, of that, I think it's important to have that perspective in order to get to a place of really respect and understanding. Yeah. I mean, that is a really powerful way to kind of use the perspectives that you're describing, the somatic perspective and the feminist psychoanalytic perspective to have empowerment and a more, I guess, solid sense of yourself and body confidence potentially in this whole process. So what are some other perspectives that people can use to help them get through this period of time? Well, I like a concept of distinguishing between body pride and body vulnerability. This is an analyst named Rosemary Balsam that has worked a lot on these things. And from her model, she says, we have both sides. We have the capacity for great body pride and we have also the body vulnerability. We all have both sides. And these two aspects really gets activated when we become mothers. And we sometimes might feel that we only have one. We might feel that, oh, I'm only vulnerability, body vulnerability and insecurity and nothing else. And other people, we see them as being all about body pride, but everybody has both. Mm. And the understanding is that if you feel like you're all body vulnerability, it's not that you don't have any of the body pride or confidence, is that somehow you're not able to connect to it Mm. because of what you're going through, the overwhelm or a depression or anxiety or maybe a trauma, but that it is possible to reconnect to that. And then it's all about starting with baby steps. What are the tiniest little steps where you can feel a sense of being okay, whether that is like 
you got an ear piercing and that is the one thing about your body you feel good about. Mm-hmm. And then how these things might build from that. And the idea is that I don't think it's possible just to get rid of all of the vulnerability we feel and insecurities because that's also part of us. Right. But it's also not about just fixing it in that way and feeling just perfectly great about ourselves, mm-hmm. which I sometimes think that like in the media, there's like this underlying, like maybe unconscious message that the goal is to feel perfect about yourself. And I right. doubt that that's possible, but it's about the balance and that it's yeah. through, through the balance that you can get to a place of feeling okay. In that way, the things that get stirred up through motherhood can be an opportunity to work through that stuff. Yeah. Right. Yeah, and you know, I hear over and over from other professionals, other providers, and their experience with their clients, and what I've seen in my own practice is that the things that are brought up in this transition into motherhood, however it turns out for you, if you find someone that you can work well with, you can often feel better afterwards than you did before, even before having a child or having whatever experience you had in the pregnancy and postpartum process. Yes. And you might come to a place of feeling okay in a way that you didn't know about. Yeah. You know, some others will also talk about how the concerns they had or the fears they had, and they thought, oh, I'm only going to be okay if this and this happens. Uh And we don't know what will happen. That's also in some ways the, the beauty of becoming a mother is that it's so unpredictable in that sense that you might discover things that you couldn't even imagine that you could come to feel yeah. feel okay about. Oh, that's lovely. And that's so true. It's so true. I mean, there really is. It can be so difficult to get through this transition. You know, even if you are not dealing with depression or anxiety, it still can, or some other maternal mental health issues, it can still be a challenge. You're right. Absolutely right. That if you can rein in on some level the that's the suffering to find ways through that can lead to such amazing transformation in really, really beautiful ways. Mm-hmm. It's just so hard to know. And I think the, this idea that, yes, it's unpredictable, but that it's possible to get to gain a deeper understanding yeah. of the, the anxieties you have, the sadness or fears mm-hmm. about certain particular body changes. There's yeah. always this idea that there's always more to that. It's not just about how you feel about the way your breast changed or mm-hmm. the way your body changed, but there's more to that story about you and your life yeah. and what you have gone through in your life. And through understanding that better, mm-hmm. that's where you can feel more empowered. You can come to feel more empowered. That's great. That's so, so this is gold for, you know, people who are really wanting to have a deeper understanding and connect these pieces together. And, and um, I thank you so much for bringing this information to us and this perspective and, and the hope that even through this kind of struggling and ambivalence and struggles with our bodies that we can find a way through and feel good, potentially feel, feel how, feel how we need to feel. Mm. So I thank you so much for that. But before I let you go, I want to point people in the direction to find more about what you do. You have a blog called All Things Maternal, and that's at allthingsmaternal.wordpress.com. 
And people can also find you through Twitter at all things Matt, M-A-T. Yeah. So if you guys are listening and you want to hear more from Helena about from her writing and what she's doing in the world, you can check her out there. And the book that's coming out in January that you're providing a chapter for, I'll put the link to that in the show notes so people can find it. It's at Mm section-3.org. Yeah, that is the section for women and gender issues in the Division 39, which is the Division for Psychoanalysis in the American Psychological Association, where I'm on the board, and we are publishing this book project focusing on women's reproductive rights. Okay, that's awesome. Okay, so I will have all of that link also up in the show notes. And then Triune Therapy Group is on Facebook at Triune Therapy. And then you have another Facebook group called Maternal Studies Scholars Network. And it's an open group and it's for anyone interested in maternal studies, correct? Yes, it is. So it's not like a group where we talk about like a specific parenting technique or like how to be a mom in a certain way. It's more of a network where we discuss all these different perspectives on studying motherhood and mothering and it's interdisciplinary so it's not just from psychological perspective is from any thinkable discipline and also like activism like mm. you know moms that maybe are not like academics from but working from like an activist perspective mm-hmm. um, any thinkable perspective that's about about understanding mothers and motherhood at a deeper level I love that. I love all of this. I mean, you're doing so much great, amazing work. And I really hope people find those links and find more about what you're doing because this is so valuable. I really, really appreciate all the work that you're doing and for coming on today and helping us understand all of this. Thank you. Thank you so much for having me. It's a pleasure to get a chance to talk about these things that I'm passionate about. And I would love for anyone listening to get in touch with like comments or their experiences or anything like that. I'm open to hearing it. So just don't be shy. Get in touch. Great. Thank you so much. By joining us today and listening, you're a part of the growing community of people who are aware and concerned for mothers and families during this beautiful and sometimes very difficult time of life. Please take a moment to subscribe, rate, and review this free podcast so that Mom and Mind can be found by moms, families, and providers who will benefit from hearing our talks. If you or someone you know is having a hard time, help is available. Please look for resources for help at momandmind.com where you will also find links and information from today's episode. Thank you for listening and being a part of the Mom and Mind community. Hello, you sentient ball of stardust. My name is Casey Davis. I'm a therapist and I'm an author of the book, How to Keep House While Drowning, where I talk about ways to make it a little bit easier to take care of yourself when you're overwhelmed, stressed, have mental health issues, physical health issues, or maybe you're just in a hard season of life. Maybe you're looking for a place that you can come and listen to some practical advice. This is a podcast for all of the self-help rejects. We're going to talk about skills for survival and self-kindness. And I'm going to leave the pop psychology at the door. I promise not to tell you to meditate or to journal. We're just going to give you some really insightful conversations with hopefully some practical advice. So I don't believe you need to pick yourself up by the bootstraps. I don't want you to just try harder. And I don't believe that laziness exists. So join me over on Struggle Care, where we can find compassionate solutions that help us function a little bit better.